Welcome to Writer's Tricks of the Trade. St. James, and tonight's topic is, well, have you ever felt like you were stuck in a writer's rut? Are you using the same scenarios or descriptions you've used before over and over? Dennis N. Griffin, Eric Miller, and I have plenty of suggestions about things you can do to break out of that mold. You can introduce fresh views and perspectives to your writing, even if you're writing a series. That's right. And it doesn't matter if you write fiction, nonfiction, or poetry. Writers pretty much base everything upon their own imagination and their own experiences. Our imagination is triggered by things we've seen, learned, or actually lived through. So in the beginning, whenever we sit down and start to write, we have a basket full of ideas just waiting to be developed. But eventually, if we keep on writing and working, we work our way through most of them. Tonight's episode is going to be about then what do you do? How do you come up with fresh scenarios and fresh characters? Well, for one thing, ask yourself if you're a creature of habit. Do you like to take the same route from place to place whenever you travel between certain destinations? Do you have favorite restaurants and limit yourself to what you know and love on their menu? Is there a style that defines you? Do you only read favorite authors? Many of you probably answered yes to at least some, if not all, of those questions. And that habit generally carries over into your writing. Yeah, I hear you, Denny. Actually, I'd be willing to bet most of us don't even realize we're doing it. It's force a habit. We do certain things without thinking about them. But what happens when we strive to get out of our comfort zones, when we consider what might happen if I went a different way or tried something I've never tried before on a menu or had to pick what to wear from someone else's closet. We often make new discoveries, I've found in my experience anyway, that can be useful to describe or even name our new characters. Yeah, that's so true. You know, we do these things because it's comfortable. Most people like certain places and food or feel good in certain types of clothes or surroundings, and they don't even look for an alternative. So let's do this. Just for a moment, imagine you're writing a scene and the location is so familiar you can navigate it with your eyes closed. After all, you're writing about a route that you travel frequently, and it's always the same. So it's easy to describe where your characters are. Ah, but now you might be heading into a problem. You've determined that the series will always take place within these boundaries. And by now, the fans of your series know it almost as well as you do. Unfortunately, it's becoming boring to them, even though they love your writing and the series, because nothing unexpected is left about those things. I think that's 
that's true in a lot of instances. When we're feeling in a creative rut, and it's important to note that happens to even the most prolific and successful authors too, that's an excellent time to really explore breaking the mold, your mold. And the example you just gave, Morgan, there should be a way to still keep the same locations but keep them fresh so that the reader doesn't feel like they've already been there, done that. This is especially important if you're writing a series that involves recurring characters or recurring locations. Do you have some suggestions about how to break out of this inevitable writer's rut, Denny? I think that the change has to begin with the uh, with you and not your writing style. If you suffer from what I'll call writer's rut, what we're calling writer's rut, it's time to experience new things so you can write about them. That doesn't mean you have to leave your comfort zone or take an ocean voyage. In fact, one solution for gathering a wealth of creative information is so easy, it's one of those things we don't even have to give great thought to. Here's suggestion number one. If you always travel the same route to a specific place, for the next five times, take a different route. And if possible, change to a new route each time. Don't be concerned if it takes a little longer. Just allow yourself more time to make the journey. In fact, it's better if it winds through unfamiliar territory so you can see and observe things through a writer's eye that you haven't noticed before. Pay attention to little details about your new surroundings that can later be used in your writing. And if people are walking or milling around, check them out too. See what they look like, how they're dressed. Uh, this will give you a whole new arsenal of ideas to use when you're in the same neighborhood. People watching is, I think, always a great source of inspiration, whether you're in a writer's rut or the dreaded writer's block or whatever. I mean, it's it's always good to go plant yourself in some high-traffic area and just watch the sort of human ebb and flow go by, at least for me anyway. But while you were talking, an image popped into my mind. I guess what you said triggered it, but suddenly I, I remembered – um well something that happened to me today i was i was i had to take my dog into the vet to get her regular bordetella shot and she's been a little lethargic recently so i had the doctor look at her and they decided to do some blood blood work so it took about an hour i went driving to my favorite it was in a part of town i used to live in i don't live over there anymore but there was a favorite breakfast place that i always went to over there and so i was driving and and I kind of had to go a different way because I never went there from the way the vet went from the vet hospital to uh, to this particular um, breakfast place. And I passed upon a, a park, and we live in Las Vegas. By the way, I live in Las Vegas. A park with a giant lake in it in Henderson, across from the DMV in Henderson, which I had never ever noticed before. And then I was driving down Stephanie, which I drive down all the time, or used to, and they painted like two shopping malls. They, t they completely changed the facade of two shopping malls. So suddenly I was lost because <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, where is <laughs> I, I knew where it was, and then all of a sudden there's these blue and white shopping malls in this little place. It's a tiny little hole in the wall that's tucked away. I'm like, 
it's not in this fancy place. But then, sure enough, it was because I was actually noticing or I was remembering the color schemes that I had remembered before. And now by going a different way, I saw different color schemes of the same place. And it was just amazing what a new paint job to a familiar location can do. (laughs) Morgan, what's your take on this? Do Do you ever do do little tricks like that to keep your writing fresh? Oh, yeah, all the time. In fact, I, I often mention it in talks I give, and, and it's mentioned in my book, Writer's Tricks of the Trade. So, you know, you've talked about doing it with a location. Let's think about doing the same kind of change of scene to clothes or food, even books, as well as any other facet of your writing. You know, all of a sudden you're going to find it still feels familiar, but it's definitely not boring. In other words, you can use new experiences and visuals to spice up your writing. Let me give you a good example. Let's say you're basically a plain food person. How about trying the Indian restaurant or the Thai restaurant down the street from the one you always go to by habit? That way, even if you don't like the food, now you can use how you felt for your protagonist to know what it tastes like, and maybe they even have a passion for this type of fare. And, you know, as creativity goes on and you think about plots, maybe their passion for this kind of food could even result in the basis for a new action or scene. Um, Maybe they're tasting this food for the first time, though. So now you have the emotions and thoughts of the person who either loves it, likes it, or even hates it. You can choose the one you want to give to your character because you've experienced the ambience of the restaurant, the servers, the aromas, everything you need to create a scene with a fresh perspective. Who knows? Maybe you'll discover a new favorite food as a bonus. And, you know, here's another possibility. You have to ask yourself if you always dress in, say, muted tones. If you do, Try adding some vibrant colors and think about how you feel when you look at yourself in the mirror in these unfamiliar colors. Maybe it's the other way around. Maybe you always dress in pastels or bright colors. If that's the case, try dressing in muted tones or earth tones and see if it makes you feel different. You know, color psychology is very interesting and it can have a lot of effects on thoughts that go through your mind and the feelings that you experience. So when you've done something like that, those are things you can transfer to your characters. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Everybody has their own feelings about different colors in the in the color spectrum and it's it's important to sort of experiment with those different colors. Like if you hate black, you got to ask yourself, well, why do you hate black instead of just never putting your characters in black clothes? You know, you you have to push beyond that, or like you were saying with pastels, if you always have all of your female characters in sort of pastel uh, sundresses, that's going to get old pretty pretty fast, and, and it shows that your characters don't have a lot of range. So why not put one of your female characters, whether she's a protagonist or antagonist, in black? Then what does that do? You know, if you have a good a good girl in black, that's kind of 
coin against the. the uh, I'm a good girl. I wear black. <laughs> right. Hey, let me put one one thing in here too, Eric. That came up while you were saying that. You know, color can be a great memory motivator too, and just the same way sounds or music or things like that. And this is something that could trigger a character. You know, say they always feel. Um, anxious when they see somebody wearing blue and it's maybe because they were abused child and their abuser was always dressed in blue you know just little things like that where you can introduce the unexpected right and that's a great that's that's a really great mime to use because then your reader will know that every time your character sees someone dressed in blue that he or she is going to have that reaction of not trusting them or being afraid of them because you've conditioned your reader to believe that the character you're talking about has this very, very emotional reaction to a color, whether it's blue or green or yellow or whatever you you happen to pick. Your reader is then going to identify with that character every time they come across that color. And you're absolutely right. It applies to sound and and architecture and and everything you can you can sort of educate your reader to think like your character which is really kind of neat so you do have me thinking about other ways to introduce new elements into my own writing now and in our last episode you know we were talking about using a character's profession in unexpected ways to create new storylines i can see where this idea of breaking out of your habits works pretty much the same way. Although in deference to our last episode, I'm going to have to say you'd have to go a long ways to beat a ninja hairdresser or an obsessive compulsive <laughs> detective. But um, let's keep on going. Denny, what, what, what's your one-liner piece of advice? Uh, I think it's very important that also you talk to strangers. And remember, in addition to what we've been talking about, you you also have to have fresh story ideas in addition to uh, to the locale and, and so on and so forth. And uh, now that doesn't mean you've got to go around on the streets flagging people down or being obnoxious. <laughs> but when you're in a restaurant, maybe you're in a line at DMV, uh, maybe you're in a line at a movie theater, whatever, when you're out and you're, you have the opportunity, uh, without being overly aggressive, to strike up a conversation, I, I think it's very important to do that. And there are a few things uh, that I see as benefit. First of all, you can learn something that might help you with a book. You can make a friend, and you can also perhaps cultivate a, a fan. So uh, talking to people can be helpful in many ways. And I've got to tell you, speaking about f- story ideas and coming up with uh, with fresh plots and fresh ideas there, um, a few weeks ago my wife uh, had to go to the emergency room uh, to have her wrist x-rayed. And while we were there... I struck up a conversation with a lady who had just brought her husband in. And we shot the breeze a little bit, and she was telling me what, why her husband was. I'm not going to go into the details because it was such a concept that I plan to use it somewhere in the future. <laughs> and um, 
what happened to this particular individual uh, opens, in my mind, opens up all kinds of potential for a plot for a great story, uh, regardless of where it's set. So, uh, no, I'm not advocating hanging out in hospital emergency rooms. But <laughs> if if you happen to be there, uh, wherever you are, and you have access to people to talk to, I think it's uh, something you should take advantage of. Yeah, that's that's excellent advice. Um, but uh, I don't know whether we can use that as a tagline. If, talk to strangers, you know. <laughs> yeah, after all, the parents tell their kids never to talk to strangers, right? I know, yeah. But we're big kids. We're big kids. We're we big decide kids. decide which that's strangers right. we want to talk to. That's right. And I and I never, I, I don't believe in that. I don't think you should be afraid of strangers, because if you're afraid of strangers, then you're just going to project your own fears onto them. And, you know, but anyway, um, I I remember a, a similar incident happened to me. I was, I was uh, driving, I was, I was in college, I went to school in Minnesota, and on spring break one year, a buddy and I, we decided to go to San Francisco. We had never gone to San Francisco before, when either of us had ever been to San Francisco. So we put our uh, um, dog-eared copy of Jack Kerouac's On the Road on the dashboard (laughs) of a rented uh, um, station wagon, and we drove to San Francisco, and we we were humming along there on Route 80, and, and we stopped in Reno, and we had a good time in Reno, and then we got back on the freeway, and we ended up going east on the freeway instead of west, the rest, you know, on, on west to San Francisco. And my friend just started freaking out. He's like, there's no turnoffs, there's no turnoffs. We're going to be, you know, have to go 30 miles and just drive across, you know, just do a U-turn. So to appease him, I, I, I did. I pulled off the road, and, and, and I tried to cross the median there. And it was nighttime and had no idea that it must have rained recently up up there. And so all that soil, which is normally white, sandy, kind of hard, um, was actually mud. And it was like concrete. So we got about 100 yards across the – we got about exactly halfway across the median and just the nose of this. Um, station wagon just planted into the soil. So we had to get towed out of there in the middle of the night. And, and it was a great opportunity to, to talk with a tow truck driver that I wouldn't have normally had. And I ended up using a similar scene for my first, in my first book, Metaphysics of Nudity, about three people, a, a guy and two girls, driving from L.A. to, to Manhattan. And I used that same kind of, oh, getting stuck and having to the embarrassment of, of being having to get pulled out of the car and, and it was because I you know I had an hour and a half to talk to the tow truck driver out there in <laughs> nowheresville you know east of Reno so we definitely have to um, remember even our most awkward and sometimes embarrassing moments and and not be afraid to use those in our writing what about you Morgan do you have, do you have something to add along those lines yeah, you know, I had a, a story in mind that I'm going to tell you, but when I was listening to Denny, and, you know, he said about talking to people in restaurants and planes or a movie, things like that, and all of a sudden I had this flash of years ago when I was flying, God, 
almost every day for my job. I mean, I'd be in a different city every day. And this one time I was on a plane. I always talk to the people on the planes. And I was on a plane, and there was this guy with this magnificent white walrus mustache. And he was sitting across the aisle from me. And we started talking, and I found out that he was from Gilbert, Arizona, and he was a former rodeo rider. And then the thing he told me, I don't know if you remember the character actor, um, Wilford Grimley, but if you saw him, you'd know who he was. And he said, yeah, I used to rodeo with Wilford Grimley all the time. And, of course, Grimley always played this kind of kindly old guy. And he said, man, was he a hellraiser and not a very nice guy either. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard that. So I kind of filed that one away. But the story I was going to tell is, um, and this was a long time ago. I mean, I was a young pup. This was my first new car. And I had this flashy Ford Convertible Galaxy, red and white and black and silver, if you can imagine. And I was on Pacific Coast Highway in California, and my brakes gave out. And, I mean, I pushed the pedal down to the floor, and nothing grabbed, and the car was only six months old. So there was no choice. I rear-ended the car in front of me. And, you know, it wasn't my fault. It was mechanical failure. So... You know, accidents like that often result in shouting matches, and I just pictured the car in front of me, the people getting out, you know, mad as wet hens and ranting and raving, but that isn't what happened. It turned out that the couple in the other car did understand it wasn't my fault when I explained that the pedal went all the way to the floor and nothing happened, and besides, their car had almost no damage, and mine was a real mess. It had to be towed. Uh, by the way, the brakes were found to be faulty when it went to the Ford agency for repair. So anyway, as we talked, we discovered that we really liked each other. And we traded phone numbers, which we would have done anyway for the accident, but we traded, traded them for social reasons. And we decided we wanted to get together. And so we got together after the accident, and we formed a friendship that lasted for over five years. And these people were people I wouldn't have normally met. But I loved hearing about their life, and they were anxious to know about mine. And in the process, it turned out that her father was a famous musician named George Van Epps, who was called the father of the seven-string guitar. And, you know, I recently thought about her. Her name was Kay Groom, and she'd make a great character. So maybe one day a scene will appear in one of my books or stories where the parties have a fender bender like I had, and they become friends, and the person got hit is a person like her. Right. So instead of the accidental, excuse me, instead of the accidental tourist, you have the accidental friendship. (laughs) Exactly, exactly. I mean, what are the odds of that happening, you know? When people say to you, um, how did you guys meet? Well, I bumped into her. Right. Yeah. I, I tried to run her over on Pacific Coast Highway. Right. <laughs> so In a big brand new books? flashy Ford convertible. Yeah, right. Uh, boy, I had a I had a picture of that in my mind. I I know those old galaxies. Um they were uh they were they were steel boats and the and the convertibles oh, yeah. especially were were uh not something you see on the road very often these days. No, um, although, believe it or not, and this is funny, and, and, you know, I'm just thinking about this. This could even trigger a story. About three years ago, I was driving down Washington Boulevard in L.A., 
And all of a sudden, I spotted a car exactly like that Ford. And it was the same red and white body. It was the same red, black, white, and silver interior. And it was parked in front of a restaurant. And I had to go in and find out whose car it was. And it turned out to be a fellow's car who had had it from the time it was new. That's neat. Yeah. Yeah, you know yeah, you have to notice coincidences too and, and not be a, not be afraid to do that, to stop. It wasn't part of your day to plan to stop and, and go into that restaurant and interview somebody, but you took the time to do it because that was a that was a coincidence that was only temporary. It wasn't like you could go back there the next day and see that person again. So No, no, and I had to find out about that car, you know, but now that I'm thinking about it, wouldn't that be a cool story where it turns out to be the same car? Right, And that the person had, you know, recently bought it and maybe it has some kind of history to it or something. I don't write paranormal, but, you know, it, it could have some really interesting things because that was a 1959 convertible so look how many years old that car was because i think it was only about four years ago that i saw it wow well so what about reading books or um well we got kind of off in the movies and tvs last time but even even movies and genres other than your normal choices do you think that that helps a writer who might be sort of in that again inevitable writer's rut to to break out of their uh their block. Yeah, you know, um, that's another great point because I think a lot of us tend to always read the same kind of book. Like, I write mysteries, so I love reading them. And I have to admit, most of the books I read are some form of mystery, whether they're a cozy or a thriller or a futuristic, but they almost all circle around being mysteries. And um, I did a spotlight interview with author Jerry Westerson when I was writing columns for examiner.com. And Jerry writes medieval noir mysteries. Now, does that sound intriguing? I'd never heard of anything like that. So it did sound intriguing to me. And it was almost like she created a subgenre of her own, or at least one I hadn't heard of. So I was compelled to read The Demon's Parchment because it just sounded fascinating. Now, does that mean I'll try to write historical mysteries after reading it? No, absolutely not. It's not my thing. But I will stow some of the details in my memory because maybe in a future book one of my characters will be a history buff. Maybe something they read in a historical mystery triggers suspicion about something happening in modern times. You know, you never know how you can use information once you've absorbed it. Denny? What have you got to say about that? Well, I I agree, and I keep a file uh, called my miscellaneous file. And, in fact, that's where I, the, the information I got from the lady in the emergency room, I have that in there. And any time I pick up on anything that I think I might be able to use down the road, uh, I make notes in the file. And uh, at the right time, I will go back to that file and, and see what I have to uh, to help me out in a current project. And I, I want to mention something about, uh, Morgan, I believe you said at the, uh, at the start of the show, about getting into these habits or the author uh, using their own habits can sometimes cause problems, because especially if you're in a series 
and your readers start getting bored hearing the same stuff over and over. And I remember there was a a fellow, I'm, uh, he's passed away now, and I'm not going to mention the series, but he wrote a de- uh, private detective series based in a small town. Now, because he was in a, a relatively limited as far as uh, what was available uh, entertainment-wise, restaurant-wise, and so forth, he was under a little bit of uh, the gun there, but what he did, he had this restaurant that he frequented all the time, and every day he had his favorite meal that he ate. And that was okay when I read his first book. Not quite so bad in the second book. By the time we got to the third book, and I could almost taste <laughs> this thing. I mean, I knew what was coming. And... Um, and I I talked with him one day, and I said, geez, I said, you know, I said, did you ever think about having your detective maybe go to another restaurant or at least order something different? Uh, and he said, uh, why? And I said, well, gee, I said, you know, it, it's the same thing over and over and over. I said, and maybe you just don't need to put what he ate. Maybe maybe if you're if you're not going to change it up, maybe just don't mention it at all. Just say stop <laughs> for breakfast or whatever. So um, when he thought about that, he tended to agree, and he said, "Yeah." He said, "In the future, he said I will make some changes in that." And I don't know if anybody else mentioned it to him, but that certainly was something that stuck out in my mind, and uh, and was kind of a turn off after three books. Eric. How about you? Um, yeah, actually, I, I did have an interesting experience along these lines um, just recently. In fact, I was uh, I was invited to BoucherCon last last year to speak on a panel about using location as a character in your story, and um, I stayed on. It was at, in Long Beach, California, and I and I stayed on the Queen Mary, and I ended up meeting Sue Grafton on the Queen Mary in the first class art deco bar lounge, um, like the night before the conference started. And, um, you know, I'm not a, I'm not a romance guy. Like, like Morgan, I, I, I I write mysteries and and that's generally what I like to read. Although I do read probably about 50, 50 mystery and sci-fi romance, definitely not. But in my bag was W for wasted. And, um, I had read M is for murder and A is for alibi like long time ago in, in literature classes or something. Um, but I revisited it and I went back because some of the things that Sue said in one of the panels that she spoke on that I that I sat in on was how her character Lindsay Milhone right is sort of locked in the 70s. You know, she she's written coming up on 25 books I think. Um, now with that character, and they've aged about six years. It's gone from like 1973 to 1978, 79, in the 40 years that she's been writing. And one of the things that she was talking about was how much attention she has to pay to that detail. And I think I've mentioned this before on other shows. One thing I didn't say was that I actually went and I and I – revisited some of her work because it was interesting to look at that sort of 
main character, my main, my protagonist is a female lead, um, and she's a lot tougher and, and a little bit more naive than Lindsay Milhone, I would say. But giving her that sort of softer, like she is looking for romance, you know, she is looking some of the elements from by reading some of Sue's stuff and because I've become friends with her now since a little bit, <laughs> um, <laughs> that it, I, I think it's really going to add to the sequel that I'm working on because in I had never considered, you know, I'm not I'm not turning my mystery series into a romance series by any means, but I am adding a little bit more element to it. She's not reconciling, but she's getting back. She's sort of in the same place as her ex-husband, and they're sort of forced to deal with their issues, and it just makes Dana a little bit more softer. And that was because. You know, I, I went out of my comfort zone. Instead of mysteries and sci-fi, I read a couple of romance novels. And I think it's actually really going to pay off, I hope. I could be dead wrong, and I've just killed my series, but <laughs> <laughs> we'll, we'll see. Well, it um, is a mystery after all. <laughs> yeah, it is. It, yeah, and love is a mystery, and, and, and your missing next-door neighbor is a mystery. So I, I think it all – and in the sequel, she ends up living in the same place as her ex-husband, so – um, I, I think it, it definitely is. Uh, I don't know. It just it was by going out of my comfort zone. I added a whole new layer to the character that I'm trying to bridge from the first novel to the second novel. So anyway, um, so I think we've given our listeners several ways to sort of keep ideas about keeping their writing fresh um, without really going far from their own backyard. You can just use your own local neighborhood and, and be aware of your own um, habits and then consciously, purposely sort of seek to, to break out of those habits. So I think we're probably coming close to the end of our show. Morgan, how can people find out more about you and your stories? Well, I'm going to tell you that, but I've got to add one little thing in here. We've still got just a short amount of time. Um, You know, this isn't limited only to writers, because while we've been having this conversation, once again, I've had this thing pop into my mind. Um, I was an interior designer for 20 years, and that's the same kind of challenge where you have to keep things fresh. You want to come up with new things. You want to be innovative and creative. And at one point, my partner and I um, co-designed a job with another designer, and we found out that she was no different than writers that are stuck in the rut because she had one thing that she always did when she designed a master bedroom. And she would put a canopy over the bed, and the drawn-back side curtains are called portieres, and just about every picture we'd seen of a master bedroom that she'd designed had that. And so she was working on a job, and we were in her studio, and just for a lark, my partner said to her, so Sandy, what are you going to do by the bed in the master bedroom? Put up a canopy and portieres? And she said, of course, what else? You know, so there it is, (laughs) that stuck in a rut. Uh, Anyway, for people to find out more about me, uh, my main website is www.morgansaintjames, altogether, M-O-R-G-A-N-S-T-J-A-M-E-S, 
www.jennyfrank-author.com. And I write many blogs and keep up more websites than I have time for, but there is a page called Blogs on that where you can find links to a lot of the other things that I do. Including this radio show and Writer's Tricks of the Trade. Yeah, yeah. Oh, that's. Yep. I think you were going to talk about that, but that's our our new website for radio's tricks. Right. Writers' tricks of the trade radio. I'll let you to handle that one. Okay. Well, let's get our plugs in here. My my website, if anybody is interested in my uh, for rent mystery series, is venicedude.com for the time being. That's Venice as in Venice Beach, dude as in dude. Venicedude.com. <laughs> And like like Morgan, I have links on there to, to other things in my the Four Rent Mystery Series uh, Facebook page that always posts not always not enough but haunted places and stories um, just from around the world about ghosts. Denny, what about you? What's your website? You can find me at Dennis N Griffin dot biz. That's B I Z. Uh-huh. Okay. Okay. All right. um, well, our Eric, next... let, let, I'm, I'm stepping on your toes, but I think it's really important to put in something that we forgot, and we should give the website for Writers of Southern Nevada since they're now sponsoring uh, our yeah. radio show. Uh, and right. Writers of Southern Nevada, Eric is president of Writers of Southern Nevada, and the website is nevadawriters.org. That's right, and Morgan is on the board with me, and we uh, we do some exciting things around town. We just had a painted stories event where we uh, had authors reading while an artist was painting what they were listening to, and we uh, are going to do another one in the in the fall where we're actually going to. I think we're going to have two artists painting as the same reader is reading, so we're going to get two different paintings of the same story. And that'll be. I think that's really going to be an interesting, um, demonstrative way to to show the audience how words can shape different images in two different people's minds. But anyway, yeah, Writers of Southern Nevada is a good organization. Um, but on with our plug. Our next show is June 24th, and it's going to be entitled "Who Is Your Ideal Reader?" Is it someone who will give you a good review? Or are there other factors involved? Denny and Morgan are going to share tips for finding that ideal reader. Meanwhile, visit our new website, writerstricksofthetraderadio.blogspot.com. That's writerstricksofthetraderadio.blogspot.com. You'll find descriptions plus a handy show directory of this and all of our other archived podcasts, as well as a listing of upcoming shows. Every listing has a direct link, so you can just pop in and listen to it whenever you have the, the time or the inkling. And uh, pick the topics that are interested you and listen at your convenience when you're driving around in that new neighborhood that you've never driven in before. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, well, I guess it's time for all of us to say good night, and we will see you on June 24th. Thanks for okay. listening. Thanks good for night, everybody. Good night. Good night. <laughs>